0: This is Harvest Bible Chapel Joliet. Our passion is leading people into a life-transforming, joy-filled relationship with God. The following message is from our senior pastor, Eric Postaluk. For more information about our church, we invite you to visit us online at harvestjoliet.org. we want to still ourselves before you now. We recognize that you are God and we are not. We thank you, God, for writing the Bible and for preserving it and bringing it to us this morning. I ask that you would help every heart to be open, to receive everything that you have. Lord, we know that there is a spiritual battle, and I pray that you would protect us this morning from the evil one and his devices, and I pray that you would manifest your presence among us, God. Bring about the radical life change that the gospel calls for, and I pray that you would use me to proclaim your truth as a vessel of blessing. We pray this all in Jesus' name, Amen. How many know that a church is not a place to pretend like you have it all together? Church is a place where you acknowledge, I don't have it all together. It's a place where you can be transparent and authentic. When I was about six years old, I was exposed to a naked woman for the first time in my living room on the TV. And I remember when I saw that image feeling instantly ashamed, but also exhilarated. Both sides of my family come from a line of sexual brokenness, and that was entering into my life as well. Seven, several years later, some friends of mine on multiple occasions introduced me to pornography. And as I engaged in that, my view of females, my understanding of sex, of love, became more and more warped. And then into my teens, I engaged in promiscuity. My life was being broken sexually, even though I didn't realize it at the time. I was becoming more and more self-centered, more and more manipulative. And not even realizing it, I was becoming more and more controlled by these desires for pleasure. I thought I was helping myself, but I was actually bringing destruction into my own life. I was broken. Fast forward... To the age of 21, I got married to my wife, and shortly after, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And when I embraced Jesus Christ as my Savior, His reality gripped me. His presence was vivid, and I had this supernatural desire to become like Him. I began to hate what He hated, and I began to love what He loved. But there was a problem. My life was so broken. And the most prominent area that stood out to me at that time was my sexual brokenness. I began to see more clearly than I ever had after I embraced Jesus the wreckage that had occurred in my life and in other lives as a result of me. And I began to tremble at the wreckage that was to come in my life and in others' lives in the years to come. I knew there was a problem. But how do you change? How do you get rebuilt? Because we all have this spiritual battle in our souls called sin, all of us have broken areas of our lives. And I wonder this morning, what's a prominent area of brokenness in your life? Not talking about me or anybody else, I'm, I'm asking you. What's a prominent area where things are not working? the way God designed them to work. Maybe it's an addiction. Addiction to lusts or drugs. Addiction to food. Addiction to technology. An addiction to alcohol or cigarettes. Maybe it's an ongoing pattern of anxiety. An ongoing pattern of gossiping or bitterness, or self-righteousness, or arrogance. Maybe it's the words that come out of your mouth, the way that you view others or yourself. Maybe you live in so much fear that you just began to assume that this is normal. Maybe you isolate yourself. You're afraid to let other people in your life for fear of what they might do if they saw you for who you really were. I wonder where you're broken this morning, where your life is not functioning the way God intended it to function. And the big question is, how do we rebuild our broken lives? Over the years, I've talked to many people. And something that I have run into again and again is this mindset of, what's the one solution? Give me the the one answer. I want the silver bullet to change this. How do I get it done now and, and make it as simple as possible? I want to challenge you this morning to break free from the mindset of, give me the one thing that I have to have. And instead, I want you to think differently about rebuilding as a process. It's a process that God sets in place through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the key is, you must engage in this process of rebuilding the broken areas Of your life. Now, because it's a process, that means it's gonna take time. It also means it involves a variety of things. There's not just this one simple thing, this push this button. It's a process. Now, there are times where God will instantaneously transform an area of our life. He did that for me with my language, but spiritual life transformation, rebuilding of our lives regardless is a process and God calls us to engage in it. Today, we're, we're beginning a new series in the book of Nehemiah called Rebuilding What is Broken. And throughout this series, we're going to take an in-depth look at how God rebuilds our broken lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the passage that we're looking at today uniquely highlights the process of rebuilding that God brings about. Look in your Bibles at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, what happened in the month of Chislev? Interestingly, Chislev was during the winter time, just like us. In the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel. Now, Susa, to put it in modern-day context, is Iran. So he's in Iran, modern-day Iran right now. Verse 2, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had served the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire." Now something that you need to understand about studying the Bible is putting it in its proper context. And so I want to put this passage, and in fact I want to put the entire book of Nehemiah in its proper context in relation to the rest of the Bible, or what we would refer to as the canon of Scripture. Uh, I want to help you understand how to interpret the Bible better, and part of that is understanding what I'm going to break down now. The Bible has 66 different books that make up one Bible. It's a divine library. There is the New Testament, which deals with Jesus arriving, and there is the Old Testament, which is preparing for Jesus to arrive. It's before Jesus gets here. The New Testament has 27 different books. The Old Testament has 39 different books. Just a quick way to remember that. Old has three letters. Testament has nine letters. So the Old Testament has 39 books. Uh, Out of the 39 books of the Old Testament, uh, do, do me a favor. Turn to the beginning of your Bibles to the table of context real quick. Go to the table of contents in the beginning of your Bibles, and notice in the Old Testament, uh, the first book of the Old Testament is Genesis, all the way down to Esther. There's 17 books there. From Genesis to Esther, those books have been purposefully uh, grouped together in the canon of Scripture because they are the historical books. I didn't understand this years ago, and when I did, it unlocked a lot for me in the Old Testament in particular. Okay, those first 17 books are the history books of the Old Testament. The remaining 22 books of the Old Testament all occur historically within those first 17 books. The other groupings would be Job, through Song of Solomon would be the books of poetry or wisdom literature, and then Isaiah down to Malachi, uh, those books would be prophecy broken down into the major prophets, the first four books, and then the minor prophets. That's how your Old Testament is grouped together. Now, back to Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is uniquely the last historical book of the Old Testament, even though the book of Esther comes after Nehemiah. Nehemiah is still later historically. Uh, The events that are recorded in the book of Nehemiah are the very last historical events that are recorded in Scripture before the Messiah came, before Jesus Christ came. These are taking place around 440 B.C. And the events within the book of Nehemiah from chapter 1 to the end take place over the course of about 20 years, roughly. Now, the book just before Nehemiah is the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah go together nehemiah is the sequel to esther nehemiah is the part two to esther i'm sorry ezra ezra deals with the temple being rebuilt because it was destroyed nehemiah deals with the walls around the temple around the city of jerusalem being rebuilt because they were destroyed the events within ezra and nehemiah again these books go together take place over the span of a little over 100 years, again, Nehemiah being the lesser of the two, about 20 years. Now, why am I bringing all this up to you? I'm bringing this up because it's critical that you understand that the Bible is not a book of fairy tales that has some neat spiritual principles to take from. The Bible is God's history book of the Jewish people. This is their history book. These are actual historical events that can be verified through archaeology, many, many, many verifications archaeological, and through other sources outside of the Bible. These events actually occurred, and this is the record of how God has been working in the history of the Jewish people to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order to understand Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, you have to understand what has occurred historically up to this point with God's chosen nation, the Jewish people, the Israelites or the Hebrews, all the same people. Before this book, Okay, again, this book is roughly 440 BC. 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar from modern day Iraq, King Nebuchadnezzar over the Babylonian Empire, came in 586 BC and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Its walls, its temple, slaughtered people. We did a study last year out of the book of Daniel. And if you remember, if you were here for that, that dealt a lot with King Nebuchadnezzar and the destruction of Jerusalem and what, how that played out in the lives of some individuals. Now, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar and some other rulers were ruling over a massive empire which included Israel for 47 years from that point of destroying Jerusalem until 539 B.C. 539 B.C., King Cyrus enters into the picture. He's from modern-day Iran. So we got Iraq and Iran. And King Cyrus was over the Persian Empire. He came in and overthrew the Babylonians and took over their territory, including... Israel. Now, about one year later, 538 B.C., King Cyrus, this pagan king, is moved by Almighty God, and he sends Jewish people back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. It's an amazing thing. He's doing them a favor because God is in it and moving in their hearts. Now, the passage today, here's what's occurred up to this point as we look at today's passage. The temple that had been destroyed has been rebuilt. This is what uh, historically is referred to as the second temple period. Now, the temple has been rebuilt, but... Enemies came in while the returned exiles were in Jerusalem and they fought against them and they stopped them from rebuilding the walls and the gates. That's spoken of in Ezra chapter 4. Now what's happening, Nehemiah is told, the surviving exiles in Jerusalem, these people who were originally cast out of the land, now they're back in the land, those surviving Jewish people are living in great trouble and shame. Nehemiah is still in exile. He's in Iran, modern-day Iran, under the Persian Empire when he gets this distressing news. And, and you have to understand, why is it so distressing for him to hear that the walls and the gates are torn down, they're burned? Let me give you a modern-day example. Imagine you live in a rough neighborhood, and your windows and doors are gone, they felt exceedingly vulnerable to any enemy that came along. Back in those days, you had to have a wall around your city, otherwise people were coming and killing you and taking over. Psalm 79, starting in verse 1, speaks of what the Jewish people had gone through regarding these events. Verse 1 says, "O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food the flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. Now, something that I have not clarified up to this point, which I need to now is the reason why this has all occurred. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? Why were the chosen people, the Jewish people, exiled miles and hundreds of miles out of their land, dispersed? Why are their lives in utter turmoil right now? The Bible makes it very clear. It's because of their sin. You see, God had repeatedly held out His hand. I love you. Here, let me help you. Let me guide you. Let me show you the way. And the Jewish people said, no, we want to do things our way. We love sin, not God. And when they wanted the security of a godlike figure, and this happens all the time in our nation, when they wanted that kind of security, they made idols for themselves, pretend gods that agreed with their sins, that made them feel comfortable living in rebellion against God, but yet brought them some kind of comfort. Because they love sin instead of God, their city and their lives are broken. You have to understand that all brokenness in our lives, one way or another, is always, always related to sin. I want you to notice how God's leader, Nehemiah, responds to this distressing news because his response sets the tone for the rest of the book of Nehemiah. His response highlights the fact that God rebuilds, listen, church, through a process. You should expect that the broken areas of your life are going to be rebuilt through a process, God's process. And listen, here's the key. You have to engage in it. There's no presto silver bullet. Engage in His process. Now look in your Bibles at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant. Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Now look at verse 9. But if you return to me, I will keep my commandments and keep my commandments and do them. Though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. This redemption that he's speaking of is freeing the Israelites from slavery In Egypt, verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Notice at the very end, Nehemiah is asking for mercy to be granted and success in the sight of this man. The this man that he's referring to is the modern-day king of the Persian Empire. His name is Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, real figure, Here's apparently a coin based on his image, If you're familiar with the book of Esther, which comes right after Nehemiah, uh, Esther is a young Jewish woman who is in some ways abducted by the Persians and uh, basically forced to marry King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus, the, the king in Esther, had a son, and his son is Artaxerxes I, the king that Nehemiah is praying about right now. Now I want you to recognize something about Nehemiah. In spite of Israel's disobedience, in spite of his own disobedience, God has sovereignly and mercifully put him in a unique position in the government. He's the cupbearer to the king. One of the roles of the cupbearer was to taste the wine before the king did to keep the king from being assassinated. The cupbearer, I'm told, is second in the empire only to the prince. He has tremendous trust with the king, you can imagine and tremendous influence. And here he's finding out about this news of brokenness, and God in His sovereign mercy has placed him in close proximity to the king. Now, we're going to get into chapter 2 next week, and it'll be clear from chapter 2 that Nehemiah's prayer here regarding the king is he wants the king to let him go back to Jerusalem To be a part of rebuilding the walls. And we'll get into that next week. But but I want to zero in on what our passage is highlighting. And and what you see here are, are five key ways of engaging in God's process of rebuilding, five key ways that we need to engage in God's process to be rebuilt in the broken areas of our lives. And I just wonder, where is God showing you this morning that you're broken? You understand that when you open up the Scriptures, you need to allow the Scriptures to speak to your soul. God is a surgeon. He's the best there ever was and ever will be. He's utterly loving. But in order for you to engage in the process of rebuilding, you have to open up your heart and say, here's an area where I am broken and I need to engage in this process of being rebuilt. Where is that for you? What is not working in your life? the way that God intended it to. Where is God showing you? You can't fix this. Don't you see it by now? You can't fix this. Let me fix this. Now again, remember, there's no silver bullet. There's no one, two, three, presto. It's a process. But I want to highlight these five ways of engaging in God's process. Number one, I must care. I must care. If you look at verse 4, Nehemiah, after hearing this news, he says that he wept and mourned for days. Now, you cannot engage in God's process of being rebuilt if you're apathetic. If you don't care about the broken aspects of your life, You have to start there, and you can't go any further until you begin to care that there is real wreckage in your life. You got to see it, and you got to care about it. And if you're here this morning, and you say, you know what, honestly, I just don't even care anymore. I don't care. I really don't care. I just, I want to plead with you. Would you plead with God to help you? You care because you can't go any further unless you do. Now, if you're here this morning and you're on the the other end of the spectrum and you say, I'm so broken right now. I was crying this morning over these broken areas in my life. I'm deeply troubled by my brokenness. I want to encourage you. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. I know that it's not a fun place to be. I've been there so many times. But you have to get there. You need to be there in order for you to be rebuilt. Listen to what James chapter 4 starting in verse 9 says. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now listen, that's not the end of the story. Humble yourselves before the Lord and look, and He will exalt you. That's where it starts. You have to care. Number two, I must sacrifice. In verse 4, Nehemiah says that he wept and mourned for days, and then he says, I continued fasting. Nehemiah's concern is so deep that it leads him to go without food. So I'm not even going to eat, so I can seek God for the restoration that's needed. You understand that when you are engaging in God's process, You're willing to sacrifice. You can't just coast along and expect to be a part of God's process. His process involves sacrifice. And this means that you're willing to break from the norm, you're willing to get uncomfortable, you're willing to do what's hard and difficult. Not because you love things that are hard and difficult, because there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But to get there, sacrifice is required. And we see Nehemiah, he's willing to sacrifice, eating for God to rebuild him. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Number three, I must pray. Notice in verse 4, Nehemiah is talking about praying, and then verse 6, he's saying he's praying day and night. This passage here is really a summary of an extended season of prayer for Nehemiah. The whole passage is basically a prayer of Nehemiah. You have to get to the place where you stop looking to yourself and you stop looking to other people to transform your life. Only God can transform your life. And prayer is our way of saying, God, I need you. I can't, but you can Prayer is our way of leaning into God. It's our way of trusting in God. It's a way of depending on Him to do what we could never do. Listen, if you want your broken aspects of your life to be rebuilt, you have to pray. And here's the beautiful thing. Your heavenly Father is so eager to answer your prayers. So pray. Number four, I must repent. Look back in your Bibles at verse 6. Nehemiah says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant I cannot hold hands with the very sin that's breaking my life to pieces and expect God to rebuild my life. Do you understand? That's what so many people do. I want my life to be rebuilt all the while they're walking hand in hand with sin. They say, you know, pastor, leader. Christian, how does my life get rebuilt? God, rebuild my life. No, 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 I, I, I can't let go of this hand. And God says until you're willing to let go of that hand, it doesn't mean you'll let go of it perfectly, and it doesn't mean you won't reach for it a thousand times a day. You have to have the conviction in your heart that I must let go of that hand. Now, you will reach for it, but you ask God, God, help me, help me. I know it's destructive. And of course, it's hard because there's a pleasure to it, right? We reach for it because it feels good. How many know just for the moment, though? It's a honey-coated razor blade. It tastes good, and boy, does it cut deep. Some of you are bleeding this morning. Let it go. Repent. Engage in the process, and you have to understand that this repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Number five, I must believe God's promises. Nehemiah recalls and believes God's promises that are promised in Scripture. Look in your Bibles at verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Now look at verse 9. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them. And bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. That's a promise. And Nehemiah is remembering this promise. What is he doing? He's seeking to live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? Let me give you the definition that we use in this church of living by faith. Living by faith is putting my hope in what God has promised in the Bible and then acting upon it. So as you study the Bible, look for promises to grab a hold of and believe in them. Not just one time. You see, you can't say, I believed in that yesterday, and it's done. No, no, it's a process. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a one, two, three, presto. It's a daily, hourly, moment by moment, believing in the promises of God, the blessings that He offers you freely. That's how God rebuilds your life. Now, you must understand that all of God's promises in Scripture center on the Lord Jesus Christ. It always, always, always comes back to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Savanus and Timothy, And I was not yes and no, but in Him, that's in Jesus, it is always what? Yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. You need to understand this morning that the reason God will fulfill His promises to you if you've trusted in Jesus, is because by the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to remove anything that would have hindered that. Because Jesus lived, died, and rose again for your sins, the windows of heaven are ready and available to be opened and poured out into your life the blessings of God Almighty that are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These spiritual blessings, listen, of victory, these spiritual blessings of restoration, these spiritual blessings of healing, of hope, of strength, of power, of peace, all of these are manifested in our lives as we trust in Jesus day by day. You see, the blessings of God are poured out into our lives through the process of building a relationship with Jesus Christ by trusting in who He is and all that He is for us. It's through the process of building a relationship with Jesus that God rebuilds the broken parts of your life. Now, that's simple, and yet it's complex. You can understand, I must build a relationship with Jesus on a daily basis, and yet there's a wide variety of things that go into that. Here's the key. Engage in the process. That's how God is going to rebuild every broken area of your life one brick at a time. And I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, I feel like I don't totally get what you're talking about. Maybe that's because You've never entered into a relationship with Jesus to begin with. You know, the Bible teaches that we are all born in spiritual darkness. We are all born separated from our Creator because of our sin. Every problem in the world is directly related to this separation from God. People are always trying to get rid of this separation through pursuing some type of pleasure, or through even religion and morality, but none of it will do it for you. The only way that you can end this separation between you and God, and be united to the Creator who loves you and who will rebuild you and restore you, is through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus dying on the cross paying the penalty for your sins and rising again from the dead that you can trust in him and be reconciled to God and listen, enter into the process of being rebuilt. That's where it all starts. And so I invite you this morning, if God is speaking to you and saying, you're not right with me, you've never gotten right yet, call out to him right now. Invite Jesus right now. Why would you Wait another day. He promises you a new life now and for all eternity. Let's pray. God, what a blessing it is to gather together as your people and to open up this precious book that you've delivered to us to learn more about who you are and who we are in light of you and most of all, to hear about the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning that we have good news. We have so much to hope in so much to be grateful for. And yet, Lord, you know that it is our tendency to forget what you've given us, to forget that every spiritual blessing is available to us in Jesus Christ. If we would open up the windows by faith and say, here, Lord. God, I pray for people this morning who are apathetic toward the broken areas of of their lives. Lord, would you break them over That Would you help them to care? Father, I pray for those who have been unwilling to make sacrifices. Lord, would you help them, help us to get uncomfortable, to make the sacrifices that are necessary. Help us to remember, God, that it's not always going to be easy, that Jesus told us, to deny ourselves, and to take up our crosses. Would you help us to stop depending on ourselves and other people to transform our lives and instead help us to depend on you in prayer, God? Help us to stop holding hands with sin. God, I ask that you would bring about the miracle right now of unmasking sin for what it is. We know that sin hides behind the mask of short-term pleasure. I pray that that devil will be exposed. I pray, God, right now that you would show that this short-term pleasure isn't worth it because it always leads to long-term pain, it twists, it warps, it destroys, it breaks down. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray now, Lord, bring a miracle. Help us to let go of that hand and repent. And Lord, would you help us to believe your promises, especially how they center in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that because of him and what he's done, you are able to change us in our lives. Do it, God. Rebuild our broken lives for the glory of your name.